The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Uh, U.S. markets bounce back with the Dow posting its biggest jump in a month while small cap surge and Treasury yields stabilize. Netflix misses profit forecasts and disappoints on subscriber growth guidance as the streaming giant warns COVID means unusual choppiness for its growth outlook. United Airlines posts its sixth straight quarterly loss, but sees a resurgence in air travel and blue skies ahead, expecting to log profits for the rest of the year. Earnings season heats up here in Europe. We speak to the CEOs of Software Arguer and Axon Nobel, as well as the CFO of SAP, Luka Mucic. Good morning. Rather usefully for you, I did uh, O-level German back in 1986. So the Novartis flashes, which are coming through in German uh, and French, actually, for that matter. How lucky we are. Uh, Good job. I'm trilingual. Uh, They're coming through in all kinds of languages. Anyway, there is one or two smatterings of English in there, which is really going to save my bacon this morning. Uh, Delivered strong second quarter performance, Novartis is saying, driven by momentum in key growth markets. The full year 2021 guidance is unchanged as well. Um, I have got the second quarter revenue figure for you, which looks like it's uh, a whisper above expectations, a decimal above expectations, 12.956 billion US dollars, 12.52 was expected. So a beat on that revenue figure there as well. Um, let me just see what else I can find. Second quarter free cash flow, uh, 4.2 billion US dollars. That is up 17%, driven mainly by higher operating income, partly offset by unfavorable changes in working capital as well. Um, key innovation milestones, there's a whole list of uh, drugs talked about there. Innovative medicines up 7%. Um, Sandoz, though, declining 1%. Again, uh, 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 often chooses a bit of a problem, the Sandoz unit as well. I don't know if Giuliano will be able to uh, update us on that as well. In fact, Giuliano is looking at the figures as well. Um, and their pharmaceuticals business uh, grew 12% uh, at constant currency, up 18% US dollars, whilst continued growth, strong growth from Entresto, up 46%, one of the big catalysts there. So let's get to Juliana, who can give you uh, far more clarity. Which language would you like to report in this morning, Juliana? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Steve. Well, unfortunately, I only have English to work with myself, so I'm going to focus on the English version of these numbers. Um, And to put these numbers from Novartis into context, last quarter in Q1, the company missed expectations. They saw the pandemic hit demand for their cancer drugs, uh, skin and eye conditions, drugs for those uh, conditions, and also a weak cold and flu season. So they were looking at disappointing performance from Sandas. So this quarter, investors are going to be looking to see uh, to what extent can conditions have returned to normal. So looking at today's numbers, Novartis has given an update on the impact from COVID-19, saying that the situation continues to evolve and is taking differing courses across a multitude of geographies. Uh, While demand is starting to return to pre-COVID levels in most geographies and therapeutic areas, 
We still see a slight impact on parts of our business, like oncology generics and certain geographies. They are assuming further uh, further easing of COVID restrictions in the second half of the year with a positive impact on business dynamics. And importantly, Novartis today has reconfirmed their guidance for the year. So uh, that should give investors some comfort. And of course, putting this into broader context, Novartis hasn't been a, uh, a leader when it comes to COVID-19 vaccines or treatments. They've been more of a support mechanism supporting in the production of vaccines. For Novartis, it's much more a story of how the broader healthcare sector has been impacted by people visiting doctors and getting diagnoses uh, on a delayed basis. Steve? Excellent. Thank you very much, indeed. Yeah, much better in English from all of us, I believe, unfortunately. Uh, right, uh, let's move on, because actually later today, our colleague stateside will be speaking to the CEO of Novartis, that's Vaz Narasimhan. Uh, that's coming up at 2100 Central European time. Right, Karen has been uh, looking at the SAP numbers. What have you found, Karen? Well, Steve, we keep talking about all this digital acceleration by companies, and that is now showing up in SAP's numbers. Don't forget the company at the forefront of helping customers migrate a lot of their IT to the cloud. And you are seeing that reflected in the numbers today. So SAP has accelerated its cloud growth across the portfolio. It's also raised its revenue and profit outlook. Uh, the revenue number for the second quarter, non-IFRS revenue up 3% at 6.66 billion euros at constant currencies. And this is in line with expectations. The operating profit line, though, that is a beat today. That is up 3% to 1.92 billion euros at constant currencies. So that's exceeded expectations for roughly 1.61 billion the cloud revenue numbers at 9.3 to 9.5 billion euros at constant currencies, up 15 to 18 percent. That's what it's now seeing for 2021. That's the expectation for the full year. So you are seeing uh, an improvement there, that 15 to 18 percent, much higher than uh, what we were expecting initially, 9.2 to 9.5 billion versus the 9.3 to 9.5 that is now uh, slated in the numbers. The overall 2021 cloud and software revenue as a result of that cloud growth has also seen rising at 23.6 to 24 billion euros. Uh, that is a guided up a fraction two versus previous estimates when it comes to operating profit that is in at 7.95 to 8.25 billion versus 7.8 to 8.2 prior to this. So a slight improvement again at that operating profit line as well, thanks to what it's already witnessing in these second quarter numbers as it raises that outlook. So the, the lifting of the outlook will be quite instrumental to the stock price today. A number of analysts, or one in particular, was quite bullish coming into these numbers. A couple of weeks back, uh, we saw commentary from Bank of America's analyst who was bullish on the ability of the company to uh, effectively uh, continue this migration to the cloud, lifted the rating on the stock. So the numbers today will no doubt be welcome because that uh, change or by the analysts was certainly well received by the uh, broader community. As you take a look at uh, Q2 current cloud backlog, they say that is up 20% of constant currencies. So telling us about a pipeline of work that exists there at this stage too. So uh, what you're seeing is a fairly decent uh, set of numbers crossing this morning. We're going to be discussing this uh, with SAP later on this hour. The CFO, Luca Music will be joining us. That is the first on CNBC at 7.40 CET. Steve, uh, you. I know you're also pouring through earnings there too. Yeah, I'm having a look through it. And I found, I found a rare beast in Europe, and that is a European bank which trades close to or at multiples of a US bank. Because uh, as we've been seeing, we've been talking a lot already uh, this week, uh, comparing UBS with some of the US investment banks. 
We just don't trade at the same kind of multiples on this side of the Atlantic. There's a whole host of reasons for that, which we've gone over uh, quite a lot. But Julius Baer is the rare exception. So let's have a look at some of the figures that are coming out from Julius Baer Group today. They're saying, the CEO is saying, from a record high net profit in the first half of the year, we're entering the second half of the year from a position of strength. Assets under management at 486 billion Swissy, uh, up 12% from the end of 2020. A gross margin. 87 basis points um, compared with the first half 2020, 92 basis points. Uh, this is exactly the point we were raising yesterday with uh, Jumana, who was talking to uh, Ralph Harmers. Uh, and this is about cost income ratios. So UBS has a 71 handle, if I remember correctly, on its cost income ratio yesterday, which really stands out as, as remarkably high. Now, I know that you have to pay these bankers, and I know a lot of you at UBS are watching this morning. Good morning to you, you highly paid ladies and gentlemen. But the cost income ratio over at your peer uh, in Switzerland is a full 10 percentage points lower at 61.2% as well over at Julius Baer as well. So maybe some awkward questions being asked about how um, remuneration is structured over at UBS compared uh, with the likes of Julius Baer as well. What else are they saying? Um, net profit attributable to shareholders. Uh, again, uh, a significant increase in that figure there. A 23% increase up to 606 million Swissy as well. There's a whole host of other bits and pieces in here. Half of them are in German as usual. Um, talking about real estate as well and their focus on that. Um, uh, acquiring 81% of Kuoni Muller and partner, which is a leading integrated real estate service provider as well. Um, so yeah, a lot, lots going on there. But the shares, as you can see, uh, over the past 12 months, uh, a significant rally uh, in those as well. They traded a price earnings ratio. Again, big, big premium to UBS and the likes. Again, not com strictly comparable in terms of company, but it is uh, operating in the same space in many ways, especially in the AUM space. Uh, 18 times forward this company trades on, which is again, as I say, a significant premium to most others in this sector. Karen, looking at ASML now. Yeah, speaking of stock prices, take a look at this one while I read the numbers. You know what's going on behind the scenes here. The global ship shortage, this is a supplier into the industry. It has been benefiting from some of the trends. The expectations were high, though, running into these numbers, and it has just managed to meet those expectations. And what we're seeing on the, the print today, $4 billion in net sales and also $1 billion in net income in the second quarter, 2021. Uh, the company's uh, numbers today, obviously, in euros, but uh, gross margin, 50.9%. And uh, the company's saying a QT net bookings of $8.3 billion. It's also giving us some expectations for the third quarter. Uh, you may recall this time a year ago, we had so many companies that didn't have much transparency about what lay ahead for the next quarter, let alone for the year. And I think that jumps out this morning as you can see that these companies are now giving us expectations for a number of months out and for a couple of quarters. So for the third quarter this year, it sees net sales between 5.2 billion and 5.4 billion euros, gross margin of 51 and 52%. So it is saying that gross margin will tick up in the next quarter. When it comes to uh, what we're seeing uh, elsewhere from the business, it expects third quarter uh, those net sales will be growing effectively. So the company also talking about R&D costs of around $645 million. We're seeing that a lot in the sector amount of reinvestment into further technology. SG&A costs of around €180 million. Euros. And the company says estimated annualised effective tax rate to be around 15% for 2021. I think that's an interesting line when we've been talking about this effective global minimum corporation tax of 15%. So there you're saying, you're hearing in the numbers,
Minister about the 15% for this year. That's what it will be paying. And it's also cru crucially announced a new share buyback program of up to 9 billion euros that's to be executed by the end of December 2023. So quite a wide time frame as we talk about share buybacks. Um, the company's CEO, they're saying they are currently expecting net sales growth by around 35% in 2021 compared to last year, Steve. Yeah, I think ASML is a great test of whether your anchors on your business program have had a drink the night before because they have to say very often lithography machines, which is not something easy to say if you had a glass of red wine. Uh, moving on, uh, coming up on the show. Now, do you remember what I said to you yesterday about US markets? I told you two things. I said, one, I haven't got a clue where the market is going today. But I also said to you, and I was pains to say it quite a lot yesterday, that none of the big declines so far since October last year have had any legs to them, i.e. there's always been substantial rallies in the days following as well. Well, that's kind of what we got, isn't it? So let's have a look at the US markets after the break with the Dow bouncing off its worst day in eight months. We'll break down those figures coming up next. Plus, Karen. Also ahead, the US markets rally with the Dow bouncing off those numbers. We've got a busy earnings day in addition to those uh, numbers stateside to digest. We're going to uh, just let you know we've got the Squawk Box podcast this morning, so don't forget to tune in for that. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. There's two ways of looking at this, of what happened over the last two days. There, there is the longer term view that absolutely nothing in the real world changed in the last 48 hours, i.e. all those fears that you had that led to the sell off on Monday were the same fears you still have this morning, despite the fact that you reversed most of those declines. Not all of them. In fact, some asset classes, none of them at all. And I'll come to that maybe a little bit later on. But, but you reversed those losses in some style yesterday. It was a stunning rally yesterday. But all those fears you had about not sure about policy, not sure about COVID, unsure about inflation, whether it's transient or whether it's permanent as well, your concern about market levels, they're still pretty much there. Uh, apart from the fact that you saw an opportunity, and quite rightly so, to, to, to look at what history has done over the last nine months or so and say, do you know what? These declines do not seem to have legs on them as well. We do not seem to see the follow through. And that was the point I was at pains to say to you yesterday. Well, that kind of happened. Again, look, I'll hold my hands up. I did also say to you, I have no clue where the markets are going. I, I'm not a soothsayer, but what I am is someone who looks back and says, well, this happened the last five or six or actually nine times. Maybe it will, could happen again here. And that's exactly what happened as well. I still have concerns that the resumption of COVID Delta variants in the United States, in France, in Asia, in the United Kingdom, of course. I think there are still big concerns about what that means for the business cycle as well. But well, we can keep that on the boil. But the fact of the matter is, it was a stunning opportunity. But like, for instance, I mean, this is a great point. What do you think the biggest decliner was on Monday on the Dow? It was Boeing. It took about 71 points off the Dow. What do you think the biggest incliner yesterday was? It was Boeing. 
it's just under 70 points to the upside. So you saw that massive 140 point round trip over two days in Boeing. And absolutely nothing's really happened to the Boeing business cycle within that 48 hours. We haven't had an update from them as well. So it's important to work out that actually in the real world, not a lot changed between the time when you sold it off 700 points and then you bought it back 500 points. And very fun, I'm sure, 12, 1300 point round trip for many of you out there, especially if you're on the right side of it as well. Although Jim Cramer's making some really good points about the speculators being just wiped out on some of those moves and actually leaving firmer fundamentals uh, for other longer term buyers of the market. Let's have a look at the one, Katie, she always gives me a good chart as well. So let's have a look at the, the one week chart here as well. And, and this, this is the point really. Look, we came off aggressively uh, and then we rallied aggressively. But as I say, not across the board as well. Have a look at Treasuries actually as well. I think still Treasuries at 120, what are they, 121? Should we have a look at them? Right, 121 there. I mean, yes, we bounced off the, what did we get down? 112, 113. Uh, it, it, it's still pretty crisis kind of levels, isn't it? Is the, is the Fed happy with the messaging it's giving out at the moment that's given a 121 yield, especially when we talk about that inflation backdrop, especially when the really key data this week, and there isn't that much key data, will probably be the jobless claims as well. And then they, they could show some decent size improvements as well. Are they happy that the market's got a 121 yield as well? Wouldn't they like a little bit of leeway for a bit more I don't know, aggression to the upside, if indeed they, they need it at some stage, maybe is the answer. Um, let's have a look at the US futures as well. Uh, US futures. Right, uh, um, let's have a look over here because I haven't got a screen up at the moment. Okay, US futures showing flat as a pancake uh, as we speak as well. Right, Karen, let me hand it over to you. I thought Netflix was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it was about uh, resetting the bar before expectations, I think, when it comes to those subscriber numbers. But let's just uh, delve into the detail as Netflix reported second quarter earnings that missed expectations. But top subscriber forecasts, the uh, streaming service added one and a half million new users in the three months to June. That was its lowest number in more than five years, although still better than expected. New subscriber growth forecast for the third quarter showed a recovery as Netflix bets on new content and an expansion into gaming, but still came in well short of expectations. Well, just to delve a little bit further into this, Steve, I think that the market had uh, reset its expectations already around those subscriber numbers. We saw a terrific run-up last year. I mean, there was nothing else to do effectively except stay at home, sign up to streaming service, sit down and binge watch during the pandemic. And that was a trend that very much played to Netflix's hands. Clearly, a lot of new competitors in the space as well, as we talk about Disney, even our own network, and plenty of others, HBO. You know, the list really goes on at this point. But the company did have a strong 2020. Those comparables are incredibly difficult because as we talk about tech trends, one of the big concerns all along was that you simply had brought forward some of those trends and perhaps the new additions on subscribers really told that tale. And uh, what we had really was a, a watering down of expectations around subscriber numbers for this quarter, but also for next quarter as well. And let's just get into that with our guest who is joining us now. Dan Thomas joins us to break down the numbers, seeing analyst at Third Bridge Capital. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Subscriber growth now at Netflix is a thorny one. If you look at that US market, it's fairly saturated anyway. So there was a huge focus on international growth. How concerned are you that Netflix keeps on taking down its expectations? First, first and foremost, thanks for having me back. Um, but with Netflix, they have a you know they have a habit of, of beating guidance, and then Q3 was was another example of that. They guided for a million and actually delivered one and a half million. But as you you know as you point out, I think um, 
people were expecting slightly more by way of Q3 guidance. We got three and a half million, but I think the market was expecting closer to closer to six. Um, and it's it's not clear when that impact of subscribers being pulled forward by COVID is going to fully unwind and you start to see a more normalised rate of growth again. Um, and and as you as you alluded to at the start, I think people will be focusing on that subscriber base in the US and Canada going backwards on a net basis. But I think it's important to remember again that that did happen in Q2 2019. It's not the first time that we've seen subscriber base go backwards in the US, albeit by a smaller number. Back in back in the second quarter of 2019, we hadn't actually just been through a global pandemic, and we hadn't seen that tremendous pull forward that we saw in 2020. So you know, it, it's probably no no real surprise, perhaps in retrospect, that you're seeing this slowdown especially once you start to add in the combined impact of you know greater competition disney's really ramping up hbo max is ramping up and, and discovery one media looks like a, a really nice content offer but there's, there's there's still a number of things that are you know are positive from 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 the numbers and i think some of the key competitive advantages that netflix has and then some of that growth story is still intact especially when you start to look at content programming and, and capex um so i think there's still some some, some good things to be taken from from the numbers all in all Dan, it did feel as though the company put a bit of shine around the numbers with the announcement a couple of days earlier about a move into gaming. And if you think about all the successful franchises that it has on the platform and turning those into gaming services, you can see how appealing that would be. That said, where is the upside in terms of new subscribers unless there's some sort of revenue model attached to the gaming? How are you thinking of, I know you've had a couple of days to digest this uh, with that key announcement that Mike Verdu from Facebook was joining. Do you think this is going to be a positive down the track for revenue at Netflix? It, it, it'll be really interesting to see how, how, how the business converts that into 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 revenue for sure i think more more likely over the near term those types of endeavors around gaming and, and and around netflix shop those would be more likely to drive engagement to the core platform and be a tool for for retention and ongoing average revenue per membership growth over time so you know giving more value to subscribers on an aggregate basis and allowing netflix to to slowly walk up price increases on a year over year basis which you know up up until till now and and it continues to do so that the business is executing quite strongly on, on increasing prices, and that, that's a very good thing. You know, Netflix is able to, to to go back to subscribers, ask them for more year over year, and and by and large, subscribers appear appear willing to do that. Um, you know, willing willing to stump up with with higher fees. And I think I think more importantly, from 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 what we're seeing in in in, in the earnings, that that longer term competitive advantage that Netflix has around content spend and, and capex is is still relatively intact I mean, if we go all the way back to, to 2016 say as a as a percentage of subscriber revenue netflix was paying or spending should i say close to close to 100% of subscriber revenue to acquire new content assets it's, it's about 98% in, in 2016 that's come way down in in q2 2021 that's about 57% of um, of subscriber revenues the business is spending on on acquiring new content assets and you know you can you can make an argument that the business has been been hampered in terms of its ability to spend on content as a result of the pandemic but if you take a look at 2020 it was it was even lower than that um, but, but but 2019, if we if we take that as the last sort of normal year, um, the, the company was spending around 65% of, of of subscriber revenues on acquiring new content assets. So that that shows that the broader model, the broader model works over time. Um, there's there's, there's operating yes. Um, yeah, look, I, I I don't have a problem with the fact it's a great company. Um, it is a fantastic company clearly, but it's not worth 65 times forward if it's got negative growth in the United States, is it? 
really hard to, 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 to comment on valuation on, on, on my side. Um, from, from an operational perspective, the business has a, has a tremendous amount of uh, good things going for it and a, and a tremendous amount of advantages relative to its, to its peer group. Again, very, very hard to, 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 to handicap that in terms of valuation. But I just wanted to, to, to you know, reassert that there are a number of you know, competitive advantages that Netflix probably does have relative to its peers. Dan, thank you very much for joining us today to talk us through those numbers from Netflix. Dan Thomas with our senior analyst at Third Bridge Capital. Losses over at United Airlines narrowed in the second quarter amid a resurgence in air travel. The Chicago-based airline posted a net loss of $434 million. This was in line with estimates with revenue topping expectations. United said it anticipates the uptrend in bookings to continue through the summer and expects to post a profit in the third and fourth quarter. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.